guys, and welcome to Conversations with Carissa, a podcast where we'll have conversations so that you and I can learn and grow from the wisdom of others. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 11 of Conversations with Carissa. It's crazy. Like if these are years, we'd be past a decade, but we're only episodes. <laughs> Welcome to episode 11. My gratitude for today is I'm glad I have a heater. That's so random, but I've talked to so many people in Berkeley and they do not have a heater and it's freezing. So bless modern technology. It's crazy how far we've come. I also passed my astronomy class, <laughs> which I'm grateful for. Didn't think that was going to happen, but I did it. Okay, moving on. The quote of the day comes from my guest, and I'm going to introduce them very, very shortly. Um, But they said, your five closest friends will be the average of who you are. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. In terms of the agenda for today, let me get into the introduction of who I have. We're going to talk about their journey, some of the keys to the the mentality that they've carried throughout this journey, and then some tips that they have. So... Who I have with me today is one of the first few people that I met at UC Berkeley. Her name is Samantha Breitbach, also known as Sam. She started as a Chuck E. Cheese rat. (laughs) Okay, don't forget that. Don't forget where you came from. All right. Then she moved to Flipping Burgers at In-N-Out. And after that, she transferred to UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. She was a consultant at one of my clubs, GRC, but she was also in transfer integration at our like what does HBSA stand for? I don't know. It's like our student government. Um, She was an intern at Symphonic Strategies, a strategy intern at ZS Associates. And now, and now guys and gals, she is heading to McKinsey. If you know nothing about consulting, it's one of the top consulting firms. If you think about it, like MLB or like what is the basketball thing NBA she's one of the she's at the championship she's taking that ring home with her all right that's where she's going um but aside from being a freaking superstar she loves chess don't know how she does it she can do an insane amount of pull-ups she's now rock climbing proficient (laughs) can cook you a freaking mean omelet and one of my favorite memories was when Sam and I were on a call Victor was also there and we're talking about what we wanted to do. And she was like, I'm going to MBB, which is McKinsey, Bain and BCG, one of the, the top three consulting firms. She's like, I'm going to do it. And now she is. So ah, <laughs> on, Sam, Sam, is there anything that I missed? <laughs> no, that sounds like you did your research. A little link to the time. I love it. I did. And when I was looking, I saw, <laughs> I found these super old pictures of you from oh, Ask no. FM. <laughs> I thought it deleted that account. That's no, you did. I can't access it, but like, yeah. If you search up your name, Samantha Reimach. Dude, it's the digital footprint. What can I say? It's- yeah, it was like, you like this. Oh, I know no. you guys can't see, but I'm like holding up the peace sign. So anyways, um, I want to hear more about like, I mean, I talked about your journey, but if you could talk more about your journey from community college to Berkeley and then how you navigated like breaking into consulting. Can you tell me about yeah, that journey? Sure. I can kind of give you like an overview of start to finish how it all went out. Um, so basically coming out of high school, um, I was definitely like a, a really good student, but 
I didn't get the acceptances uh, to the universities that I wanted, which was like mm. super soul crushing for me at the time. Mm. Um, and so I was waitlisted here, um, UCLA, all these schools that I had kind of dreamed about for four years. And so um, I got into UCSB, mm-hmm. but I wasn't necessarily hugely excited about the school. There's nothing wrong with SB by any means, yeah. but I just had kind of like an idea of where I wanted to be. Mm. Um, and then matters were made worse when I had a conversation with my, with my mom and she finally like opened up about the financial aspect. Uh, mm. she like, I'm a single mom. I have two younger kids. It's just going to be very, very difficult to put you through school. Yeah. Um, and I didn't feel right taking that money because it would like really put my family in like a dire financial situation. Yeah. So I started doing some research. Um, this was after I'd already committed to SB and I did some research and I was just like, wow, like there is so many benefits of community college, despite the stigma mm. that I'd kind of grown up around. Mm. Um, and I, I learned that, you know, it was cheaper financially. I'd be able to save up money and hopefully end up transferring to one of my dream schools, which mm. I would consider uh, Berkeley or L.A., Mm-hmm. So um, I put my nose to the grindstone for those two years. I was working four different jobs. I was out of the house like 12, 14 hours a day, just like oh juggling God. between tutoring. I mean, you kind of mentioned the Chuck E. Cheese rats <laughs> for a while. Um, it definitely did work at In-N-Out, dog walking, anything to just kind of like keep me busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always with the goal of transferring to Haas at the end of the day. Really? Um, Yeah. And so the reason I kind of like projected my focus on Haas was because it's kind of like, without a doubt, the best business school that's available to people within the UC transfer system. Um, And so I was like, that's where I'm going. I got my eyes set on it. Um, I will don a rat costume as much as I have to to get there. Um, So I ended up applying and uh, I got in, which was Mm -hmm. like such a dream. But I think that a lot of transfer students kind of have this conception of once they get to university, it's going to kind of be like companies are begging you to come work for them. That is not the reality. It's (laughs) more difficult once you come here and you start realizing that you're starting at a point that's much further back than a lot of the students that you're competing with for these jobs. Um, And so there was a lot of like transfer discrimination that I remember experiencing early, early on, like, especially in the club recruiting process, um, recruiting professionally. And uh, it was an extremely difficult process. um, But I had gone into the university with the idea that I really wanted to do consulting. Um, Mm -hmm. This was sparked by one of the conversations that I had with a kid that transferred from my uh, community college a couple of years ago. And he told me about this really interesting career path. I'm super excited about it. Obviously, MBB is the cream de la creme of like the industry. Um, but upon getting to school, it was like, I, I couldn't even get an interview anywhere. It was just so difficult. Um, and so I kind of had to restructure my focus, which we can jump into later. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's definitely like a mindset shift that I had to have in order to land that first internship. And then... Um, from there, it was just leveraging the opportunities and the networks that I had in order to at least get an interview at a place like McKinsey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then things kind of worked out. And now I get to say that I I think I'm the first transfer to be working at McKinsey, um, at least in the San Francisco office. So it was a very long, hard process, but yeah. it worked out. And I think a lot of that has to do with mindset. 
that's one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you. So along the way, I feel like I caught you kind of at the tail end because you hibernated for a while. <laughs> but like, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about McKinsey being one of your like last interviews. It was like everything was on the line. If you didn't get this, you'd have to probably re-recruit. So what were the practices that kept you going along the way? What was the mindset that you had to take on in order to prevail in the end? Yeah, I mean, I think um, everything you do that is going to be hard requires a mindset of like the utmost confidence. Like you Mm. have to believe in yourself. Um, and so when you let that doubt seep in, the interviewers can see that, you know, mm. they hire somebody that doesn't even believe that they deserve to be there. Mm. So whether that meant um, at, before every interview, I would get up early, I would play like, you know, the most obnoxious rap, just like hyping myself up. Um, I would journal, you know, I'd write down like uh, manifestations of where I wanted to be. And that was a year long process. It didn't start the week of the interview. That was yeah. like, I mean, you even mentioned when I first met everybody in Haas, first thing out of my mouth was, I'm going to be working at MBB. So mm-hmm. it was like this pers- mindset that I put myself in where failure is no longer an option. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, you're right. Everything was on the line. Um, I didn't make it past Bain's first round, which was like super disappointing because I'd worked really hard to like prep for that. Um, mm. Yeah, it really came down to McKinsey and I was just so certain like, I cannot drop the ball on this because I don't see an alternative option for myself. Um, so I almost approached the interview like um, with a lack of stress. Like I, I kind of went into it like I'm going to give these people the authentic version of myself. And if they don't like it, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but fuck them. <laughs> it was literally just like I'm going to do everything I can to be like the most authentic version of myself. And hopefully that will set me apart. Um, so yeah, just removing all doubt from the equation, just you know, being a hundred percent yourself. Yeah. I remember you told me how you told them that you literally started as a rat, like you dressed <laughs> up as a rat to get here. Yeah. And I feel like everyone has that like pinnacle moment. So can you talk about some of maybe the failures or the rejections I you just mentioned Bain but what else really led you to just kind of be like okay whatever um dude I mean I feel like no amazing story starts without failures along the way um the way that I view failures is like it's always a redirection to something that's a little bit more right for you Mm um so I mean the biggest failure that I remember in like recent years was not getting into the schools that I wanted so then mm-hmm. I had to redirect and go to college and then when I get here a lot of the failures I got was rejection from all these clubs on campus mm-hmm. so I spent the internships actually getting paid for my time um mm-hmm. so I redirected better I didn't get into Bain which was kind of my dream job but then I got redirected to a company that's subjectively better you know yeah. it's, it's like really just understanding and accepting that your path is your own and that mm. you can't have a determined idea you just got to be like open to I don't know I believe in a lot of like spirituality and stuff but yeah like that the universe will give you what you're meant to receive um yeah, so, yeah I don't know it was just uh coming to peace with your situation and just knowing that something is better coming along 
Yeah, Sam was one of like like I, I would say a handful of people that was really, 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 really helpful when I was recruiting. I mean, we'll get into some of the tips later, but the biggest thing that I always kept saying to myself that Sam told me was it'll work out. Like everything will work out in the end. But like there is the notion of the right things will come to you, but you also have to put in the work, right? I believe like luck favors the prepared. So what type of work did you put in? <laughs> oh man, that is, yeah, that's a very intense conversation because it, it was a lot of work. Like you said, um, you can have this grandiose idea of like what you want, but mm. oh, pairing it with like that hard work and dedication, you're going to just like be a dreamer and nobody yeah. wants to be a dreamer, somebody that actually achieves. Um, so I had this idea in my head and I knew that there was a pretty structured approach that I would have to take in order to get it. Mm. Um, that I would break this up. I mean, this is the consultant coming out in me, but it's like <laughs> your academics, your professional life and your network are the three things that you have to focus on. Um, mm. so academics, it was like, I had to strategically pick every single one of my classes in order to have the highest grade possible GPA possible Genius. Uh, because for a lot of these uh, firms, especially ones like McKinsey, Bain, BCG, they kind of like have a unspoken threshold for what GPAs that you can have when you, you apply. Really? So I knew that I needed to have a 3.8 or above in order to even be looked at by them, um, mm. like seriously. So that was like the mark that I had set for myself and I did everything to make sure that my GPA was at that level. Mm -hmm. um, and then professionally, it's like you need to have some sort of like decent internship experience on your resume doesn't necessarily have to be consulting but it definitely helps mm -hmm. um so I was getting consistently rejected my first semester and um I remember one of my friends felt bad for me I'm not going to say names but they, like, they were just like please like you know here's a, a referral link for this company talk to the recruiter and it was in an industry I had absolutely zero interest in uh -huh. um I ended up, I slept through half the interview, but I still got that offer. <laughs> I don't even, I literally got woken up by a call from them. They were like, uh, we have an interview scheduled. Like, where are you? And I had to like throw on a suit and just blame it on like, I don't know, like time zones and whatever. Know, what you're talking uh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I got the offer and I was kind of in this limbo stage for a while of like, should I take it? It's the safe option. I need to have a job post-graduation. But um, I really had to lock in and be like, you know, this isn't what I want for myself. I, I really want to do consulting. So I had I turned down that offer with absolutely nothing to fall back on and just kept re-recruiting. Um, and it did end up working out. Um, I had three simultaneous internships during the summer, two carried over from the spring. So I was just like grinding it out because I knew that I had a less amount of time to show um, professional experience than like the average continuing student who have mm -hmm. been doing internships in sophomore year. So that's why I, I triple loaded the way that I did. Um, so that was definitely something that helped. And then there's actually a fourth bucket. We'll, we'll call that interview prep. Third bucket was... Um, the network that I had to build for myself. So we both know a guy named Matt. Um, he definitely was somebody that um, came through with the referral. You know, he was, you know, telling me like the inside scoop of how the recruiting process works. And he actually hooked it up with another referral at McKinsey. Mm -hmm. So um, 
referrals are essential because they can really help you shortlist your application up to the top. Um, yeah. You don't have to be some random person out of a hundred thousand applicants. Now you're narrowed down to like a very small list of people, that, um, you know, kind of have an, an inside leg into the company. And uh, that was really important. And I did a lot of like LinkedIn cold calling for a really long time. So the fifth part was the uh, actual interview prep. And um, consulting is kind of infamous for its casing um, yeah. requirements for interviews. This will usually be like a business problem that you're presented with and you got to come up with like a summary on like how you would approach that problem. And there's math, there's like, all these different frameworks that you kind of have to utilize and like what's the best approach to the problem. Um, so they're really testing your strategic thinking and it is not intuitive. Like unless you're born as like an Elon Musk, like, <laughs> like you really have to learn like, okay, what's yeah. the right things to say? Um, so I told you about that. Yeah, basically just going on like discord channels, hitting up people from all over the world um, to like, case every single day just repetition 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 um just mm. really like learning as much as I could um about that whole process and the second half of the interview prep was behaviorals um this is a super un like under focused part of the interview process for consulting um mm. because you really, really need to have a succinct story on who you are. You got to boil yourself down to like the essence of like why they should hire you. Because um, it's not just like, you know, oh, can you solve like a 1 million divided by 364? It's like, you really have to come in there and... <laughs> I was trying to figure that out. <laughs> no, like, I don't even know. Like a, <laughs> I got a calculator. But um, it's, it's really about like, what well, do I want to work with this person? Are they somebody that I find fascinating and enjoyable to be around. Um, so you got to communicate that short stories that present yourself in the best light, but also don't just sound like you're bragging. Um, little like side tangent. Mm -hmm. There was this kid that I met um, that was interviewing with McKinsey as well. And uh, he had like these crazy accolades. Like he was working at Tesla as like an engineer and like all this like really high, okay. high level stuff and he's running circles around me in casing. I was like, I'm going to be screwed. Like he's just so good. And then it got to the behavioral portion where we were like asking each other, what would you say for this question? And uh, all his answers were just like bragging, kind of like tearing his team down to make himself look like the best person. And mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, I knew in that moment that I had a better shot because being like proficient in casing is about 50% of the legwork. Then it's like mm. showcasing who you are as a person. Um, Cause it's a very client facing industry. So you gotta be like somebody that knows how to talk and work with people. Um, so yeah, th th those were like the key areas that I really had to focus in on for the recruiting journey. Yeah. And there's something I want to touch on specifically. So I was going to ask you like who your most transformative mentor was along the way. If it's Matt, cool. Um, but what advice did he give you that not many people likely know about? Um, and how are you teaching these same lessons to other people? Hmm. Um, Matt, yeah, Matt is by far um, my most influential mentor during this whole process. Um, Honestly, he was a big help in building up confidence in myself mm. because 
initially coming to university, I was dealing with so much imposter syndrome and I just felt like it was something that was completely out of reach. Yeah. And he was like, dude, like you've already dealt with these odds before to even get into Haas. Like mm. you're already dealing with 5% acceptance rate. Just do it again. You know, yeah. like if you to be successful, this is going to be a barrier that you're consistently going to have to cross like throughout your entire life. Just get used to it. And that kind of helped me because I was like you know what you're right like I've already <laughs> been difficult situations before like who's to say I can't handle another one mm. um so he kind of just taught me a lot about like my worth um as a person you know he was like look like you're showing up and you're you know following through on every task I assigned to you assigned to you clearly you have the the dedication so now it's just about piecing it all together and making sure that you don't screw up during the interview so um he did like kind of gave me the I don't know like the direction that I needed to focus on correctly um he gives some great advice about like don't prioritize school like think about you know your job <laughs> which is a controversial statement but yeah. it's true it's like school is an ROI you know like you're, you're going to school so that you can get a great job and pay off all these loans that you're accumulating like yeah you start prioritizing in a certain way um so yeah I mean that was like a huge help to me um and he stuck by my side for like a whole year and like I don't know just having somebody that, that believes in you so strongly and is never afraid to let you know that really can kind of shift your mindset because it can be a lonely process when you're just like getting constant rejections so yeah. having somebody that's like you got this you can do it really helped and I'm very very grateful to him for that but he doesn't like people saying thank you so I, I never get to actually like <laughs> I kept saying thank you to him like I was like thank you he's like stop <laughs> yeah. stop saying thank you because you're the one who did it like you're the one who put in the work something I want to talk about the whole like school thing that you think is controversial but I remember when we were oh we were on yeah, a train right and you were talking about some of the people that you knew who are so heavily focused on school but don't focus on the things that come afterwards mm -hmm. how do you make sure that you're really getting the return on the investment that you're putting into like this university degree what about the people who are at a state university who may feel like all they have is this GPA. How how can they then start thinking about the future? Mm -hmm. That's a good. That's a great question. I think that um, well, okay. Let like let let's go through example of like being at a state school and it goes down to GPA. Let me just be extremely like upfront. Um, being there's a handful of target schools that these like really competitive consulting industries look at. Mm -hmm. and so you're going to typically be your ivies like berkeley's kind of like honestly i would put them at like a lower tier compared to like some of these schools like they're looking at harvard wharton like all these crazy schools um so if you're at a state school you're at an inherent disadvantage just because of the name of your school alone so i can understand okay you're putting a lot of weight into the gp but you need to build your network in order to compete with these pool of people. Like you already know at this point that the academics is not going to carry you, but just mm -hmm. inherently at a, 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 like a state school, like in their eyes, it's not even a target school. UCLA is not a target school. Like that's how crazy these firms are. Oh, shoot. 
So I think that like, you got to shift your focus away from the academics going to be able to carry you because if you have a 4.0 at, I don't want to say any schools because I don't want to piss anybody off, <laughs> but compared to like a 3.7 at Harvard, you know, which one are they going to choose? It's, an, it's a no brainer. So that's when the networking comes in. Mm. You got to go into it with, okay, I'm going to get, make sure I build connections with, from the inside of these firms so that my resume gets shortlisted and I'm going to practice the casing. It's like, now you got to start picking which of the areas that I, those four areas that I mentioned that you're really going to put your eggs into those back baskets. Yeah. I mean, the school only gets you so far, but if you know the right people and you practice the casing a lot, it's the hardest part is getting the interview. I think only 10% of people get an interview and they're looking at top schools to fill most of those slots. So it's like, yeah making sure that you know people that can give you at, at least that foot in the door is so important that's where the majority of your focus should be that doesn't mean like go crazy and have like a 2.3 <laughs> you know like prioritize your time um, make it a priority to make sure that you maybe talk to somebody from Bain BCG McKinsey once a week or something build like a consistent mm. relationship with these people so that they're willing to vouch for you it's not just going to come from like a one-time call it's something that you have to mm. trust with these people because they're they're putting their name on the line for you essentially when they give these referrals so oh my god it's a process that is a great point well this can span like even beyond consulting even if you're recruiting for tech or for finance mm. maybe this is more consulting because we're both going into it but I yeah. feel like that consistency with connections is so important. Because the next question I wanted to ask you is, how do you go into a conversation with the mentality of creating a genuine connection versus getting a referral? And then how do you then like maintain this relationship so that it is genuine? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think this is the single most important thing that business students especially can learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I'm still learning too, but uh, I think that when you go into these calls and you hit people up and you're like, hey, I'd love to know about whatever X and X opportunity, X and X company, um, it needs to be, you go into it with the mentality, like I'm here to make a friend almost. Like it's mm. not real you on your job. You already work. These people are working eight hours a day. They don't want to come home and talk more about their job. <laughs> They're over it, you know? So like- spend the first like five ten minutes of the call like you know learning about what they do and then you find a point of uh connection between you guys that you can really pounce on and like create like a conversation that kind of you know it's better to go off the rails off script and like Mm -hmm. hear about them as a person rather than like a employee at this company so something I would do before my calls and I've done this before interviews too was I would look up their LinkedIn, I would like kind of scour it, see if there's any hint of like a passion that they might have. Like, let's say, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, For my call with uh, the girl that I got the McKinsey referral from, I'm pretty sure I did. I should, it was never confirmed, but I'm pretty sure I got a referral from her. Mm. Um, I saw, went on her LinkedIn, I saw that she played volleyball at Harvard. <laughs> First thing I did after we got through all of like the n- niceties of like, oh, how's your job? You know, then the <laughs> first thing I did was like, hey, I used to do sports uh, pretty competitively. You know, I ran cross country. I saw that you did volleyball. Like, how was that experience? Mm-hmm. And then you start getting somebody passionately talking about something that they have actual genuine interest in. <laughs> like, 
boom, like, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, make this person think of you as, like, a human being that they actually, like, mm-hmm. have some sort of interest in. I did the same thing for somebody that I interviewed with at Adobe, um, and I saw that he had a, um, a photography side job in college. I actually do genuinely love photography, mm-hmm. So I just start chatting it up with him about what type of shoots does he do? Like, what's his favorite camera? Like, does he prefer Mm. portraits versus, you know, whatever, like coming up with all these different things to kind of ask him and you just see the eyes light up. And that's when you know, Mm. because now it's like, he sees you as a person that he thinks is cool and that shares similar interests. And lo and behold, I move on to the next round. Um, I didn't end up continuing to interview with Adobe, but like, it really showed me like, okay, it's really about creating the genuine connections off the bat. But here's the thing. Once you have that genuine connection, you don't just stop there, wipe your hands clean, and then hit them up three months later saying, please give me a referral. That has to be like a repeated contact thing. Like you got to get them invested in your life. Don't be breathing down their neck, but like, you know, you want to maintain consistent communication. So now you move from a random person an acquaintance to now a friend that they actually want to see succeed um so that's kind of the secret to it all yeah dang I'm absorbing that because it's like it also sounds like you have to be interested in stuff when school is everything and that's all you're focused on you're not going to have the time to pursue the passions like photography or sports and I'm just the type of person where I like to draw connections to other things that I see in my life but that just sounds like it's also important to be a human being yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something Matt and I would talk about a lot is like balance is key. You know, like we Mm. agree that we admire somebody that, okay, like we have less respect for the CEO of a company that has a shitty marriage, his kids hate him, but he's pulling in millions of dollars a year compared to somebody that's making decent money, but they're also well-loved in their community and they have a lot of hobbies. You know, they're, they're like a interesting, dynamic person. Life isn't all about the the role or the title or the success. And so, yeah, absolutely. It's like, why would people find a reason to connect with you if you're just a robot? Like, please get me referral into this. <laughs> they don't care. Like, they want people that they actually find cool. Um, so you, need, you need to become a cool person to build bridge that gap, you know? Mm. So find things that make you, you. Man, that's another thing that I wanted to ask you. So I was listening to this podcast. He had Tim Grover on. He was someone who trained like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. But he said to be obsessed with something is far different than to be interested in something. And so like Kobe Bryant, he wasn't interested in the game of basketball. Like he was obsessed. And to be at that level, he said the biggest misconception is that you have to give up the idea of like a conventional balance. You have to create it. So I wanted to know, like to be successful in your eyes, in what ways did you have to give up the idea of conventional balance or did you not give it up at all? Mm, I mean, I would say like, obviously there's the things that you have to do where it's like, okay, I have a big interview tomorrow. I got to skip my friend's birthday dinner or Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go party this weekend because I need to be in like prime mental condition. But I think that that's a, like a trap that people can fall into where, you know, you see it on like the grind TikToks all the time where they're like, throw away your entire life to get rich before the age of 23. It's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, 
that's not what life is all about. You know, like there is a time and a place um, for me, the summer leading up to my interviews, that was absolutely like my number one priority. But I still found time, you know, to take little trips, to hang out with my friends, because otherwise it's like you start mentally collapsing. It's like I'm mm. spending all of my time and energy focused on this thing that might not even happen and I'm letting all these parts of my life fall apart because I'm just so hyper fixated on like this goal, you know, that's not healthy either because then it puts you in this depressed mindset where it's like, you can't even perform to the level that you want. So you really have to like give yourself, you know, the little rewards where you can, where it's like, it keeps you going. It keeps reminding you like, you know, that this is like the life that you're trying to build and you want to have that balance consistently, even once you get the job. Um, I think that, that I think it's a hedonistic treadmill. I might be butchering that name, mm. but like, you know, you get on this treadmill and there's a new reward, new reward, new reward, and you constantly are striving towards something. You forget, you get tunnel vision. You forget about everything else. Mm. Because, you know, your life becomes focused around purely success-based and success looks different in a lot of different forms. You know, that, that means healthy relationships. That means being, you know, uh, having time with nature, you know, like there's all of these different things that add to, the overall success of your entire life um mm. so yeah definitely knowing when is the right time to grind and when's the right time to just close the books and take a breather for a second mm. so maybe the right question to ask is what does success mean to you like what does that look like and then what is kind of your end goal or your like dream career and what are you taking to get there or what steps are you taking to get there? Um, there's another quote that I like where it's like, the more I know, the more I know I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> Why? You're telling me I didn't come up with that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. Bro, I was walking up my steps and I thought I came up with that. I thought it was a genius. I was like, hey, it's okay, you're tapped in. You know what's going on up here. Um, yeah, it's like, I'm 21 years old, you know, it's very hard to come into, you know, conversation and say like, oh, I know exactly what my dream looks like. I'm figuring it out. And I think that's the mentality that a lot of people have to have. Life is a journey. Life is something that you, you're like unveiling it over time through each new period of your life. If you had everything mm -hmm. known to you from the second that you're born, it's like, there's no excitement. There's no mm -hmm. purpose your journey it's all an experience that you're constantly trying to put yourself through so for me to answer that and be like oh I know this I'm gonna make x amount of money it's like I don't know like it, mm. that could change my my honestly my dream success could be being a monk in Tibet 10 years from now <laughs> bald <laughs> just, just aside, like all worldly possessions because I'm like you know I figured out the meaning of life is not actually working for a company making it more money so yeah. like I'm open to the options you know <laughs> But um, my short-term plan, now that I got the job offer, um, my dream is kind of to travel the world for the mm. next like, six months after we graduate. Mm. Thankfully, they do give me the time to be able to do that. So I saved up a lot of money. There's so many places I want to see, so many people I want to meet, so many experiences I want to have. Mm -hmm. Volunteer in a third world country, kind of like, you know, get myself down to earth a little bit before I start this like glamorous job. Um, and, you know, hopefully like see some real shit, you know, that kind of <laughs> perspective on like the human condition. And then from there, 
Uh, I'm going to go work, try my hardest. My goal is not to come into this company and just be a monkey working in the back room doing slides. Like I want to talk to people. I want to learn from their um, perspectives. These are all very well-accomplished, highly established people. And so I'm in this dream position to be able to talk to them. So building my network is going to be my number one goal coming out of there. Um, and then, you know, who knows? It's like I could go to MBA school, get it paid for. They send a bunch of people to Harvard, Stanford, Wharton. So maybe I mm -hmm. want to go down the educational route. Maybe I want to go and like get involved in the startup scene for the first time. I absolutely, a big goal of mine is to uh, see my siblings graduate from top universities and kind of get yeah. their own life started. So definitely being a part of that. And, um, you know, having cool friends in a cool city, traveling, like there's all these things that I want to hit, you know, and even outside of the world of success, it's a uh, uh, traditional success. It's like, I want to get in absolute ripped condition. I want to be <laughs> so jacked. Um, <laughs> I want to be like, you know, uh, somebody that's extremely healthy. Um, I want to, you know, maintain connections with the people that I love. Like there's so many things that define success to me. So it's impossible mm. to get, that's a really long winded way of saying, I don't know, but I hope that answered your question. It does. See, like, I feel like you have such an inquisitive and curious mentality. And so what, what done did this for you? Like, what was the biggest mentality shift for you, like in community college versus you now? How did you and how did you get there? That's a great question. Um, I think that being alone in community college definitely helped. I had mm. friends and stuff, but that first like semester at community college was so lonely because I watched all my friends go up, go off to great schools and. Mm. Community college is kind of notorious for not being a super social place. And so I spent a lot of time alone um, and I would walk this dog every morning and just kind of put in my headphones. And it was almost like a form of meditation for me because it was this consistent routine. I'd be surrounded by nature, just me and this dog, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> animals are a consistent theme. It's like rat, dog, <laughs> um, but yeah, I would just like walk every day and I had the time and, and like, you know, the slower pace of life to actually think about what I wanted out of my life. And I really like opened up like a part of my spirituality I'd never really experienced before. Mm. And um, I just really realized that like my biggest goal was to, yeah, like experience, you know, like everything can be interesting if you make it, if you look at the world through like a child's eye. Um, mm. and just you're like seeing things for the first time and um just kind of like rekindling that joy in life like yeah I wasn't at a top university but I was still living in California you know I still had all my limbs like I could go and do like a bunch of really cool things and so it's just about making the most of whatever opportunities with you at that current stage in your life and then you know the world just opened up even more when I came to university so yeah I feel like that's uh, the mentality that I want to have constantly. And it did take a little bit of loneliness to to bring it out of me. Maybe not even like loneliness. What's that one song? It's like, just because I'm alone doesn't mean I'm lonely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I was alone, but I wasn't lonely. I was, I was learning to build a friend out of myself. Mm. And, yeah, see that I, you know, I really only need myself to have a great time like freshman year or they're going into community college how can they use their imposter syndrome to their advantage 
Mm, great question. Super tangible bit of advice is if you're a transfer, especially, you have a network of people that are so willing to help you out just mm. because you're transfer. And that's other transfer alumni. True. Because we all know how hard it is. And so the second that you see that somebody's a transfer on like LinkedIn or whatever, and you want to set up a call with them, that's like a great foot in the door. So I always recommend to people, talk to as many people as possible to figure out what you want to do. Um, I think that being a transfer, it's like, you have a lot less time to figure it out. So it can feel super overwhelming to get like all of these different options in front of you and you got to make a decision in less than two years. I would say go through it, go about it like a process of elimination, mm. figure out what it is that you absolutely don't want to do with the <laughs> core of your being. And then there, it's like now the options are narrowed and now you talk to people in all those different industries, you get some insight and you start taking notes learn from other people and do it vicariously so that you don't have to have the problem of like going into a career for 10 years being like I fucking hate this like, <laughs> you know it's like let's talk to people um mm, another thing that. is be very conscientious of your time it's limited at mm. especially being a transfer it's like you got half the amount of time so start doing a objective view of what's eating up your time when you're at school. Um, is it a club that's like requiring 10, 15 hours of work a week from you and you're not that passionate about it? Okay, well, then you got to do some snipping, you know, start figuring it out what it is that's like, like redirecting you from your focus. I know people that party four days a week, nothing wrong with partying. You know, I'm the first person to be like, have some fun. <laughs> but, you know, there's a limit be conscious of what's eating up your time um, and what's distracting you. And so, yeah, if, if everybody goes into it with like, there's a limitation on our time here. We got to use it in the most like smart way possible. You will probably get a lot further doing that than like stumbling around. Um, so that mm. means plan, asking the hard questions of yourself. Like, what do I want to make of this experience? Besides that, I mean, like just general transfer tips in general um because so many people throw around the word like imposter syndrome I don't feel like I belong here and to me I just want to know like how can you turn a weakness into an advantage you know yeah. well okay so starting off with imposter syndrome um the secret is everybody has it you know like I get to look back now at a very successful recruiting journey and be like I don't know what the fuck I was doing the whole time. Like it's time, you know, like I really came in here feeling just as confused and insecure as everyone else, you know, but it's like, you got to kind of accept it and find a beauty in that. You know, it's like, you feel like an imposter because you don't have all these like accolades and, you know, things set up for you. It's like, you now have the opportunity to shape it however you want. You're not locked into a box. Mm. It's a cool thing you know just like mm. you can't let it tear you down like everybody starts from somewhere um oh yeah and I absolutely used it to an advantage during the interviews because all of these people come in there and they're like oh I interned at Tesla I interned at Google I interned at Bain you know like I have all these crazy uh, things I was like I was a, a rat, rat. <laughs> I was a rat like I but they saw that it's like I had a alternative journey than mm -hmm. most people interviewing with them and that's something that's interesting it sets me apart you know I wasn't the president of 
the biggest consulting club on campus, I, you know, I had to get creative with the opportunities that I had. And so, you know, being an imposter syndrome, what that really boils down to is that you're taking an unconventional route, you know, like you don't, you feel like an imposter because you're not fitting in with everybody. Mm. Use that. It's, it's cool. It sets you apart. It's unique. And people love feeling like they're talking to somebody that, you know, is off the beaten path. They're a leader in their own way. They're paving their own route. Um, mm. I had a conversation recently with one of our, the transfers in our class and she's like, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm pursuing this career in this industry that not a lot of people do. And it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong because, you know, everybody's doing something different than me. And I, I feel like I have nobody to talk to about my path. And I'm like, dude, embrace it. Like you are, you get to say that you paved the path for now cost transfers to go into this really cool industry you know, and you're the one that people, if, if somebody says, hey, I want to break into um, this industry, they're not going to point at you and be like, talk to her because she did it already. Mm. So that's such a cool thing. And you should be proud of that. You know, never yeah. be like embarrassed of the fact that you're doing something unconventional. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, you're like a clean, fresh slate. And I think it's a it'd be life would be so boring if we were all like each other. And then what is something you would have started sooner if given the opportunity? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, in terms of the professional world, I wish that I kind of came into um, university with more, I don't know, like there's some kids that already had internships coming into the school year. I kind of wish that I took the professional world as seriously because even though those jobs like Chuck E. Cheese and In-N-Out ended up (laughs) being a part of my story and I'm not embarrassed about it, but like, I do wish that I took it a little bit more seriously to get like kind of some professional experience because I think it would have given me like a better springboard to launch off of than like starting from scratch. I wish just kind of thinking about that a little bit earlier and knowing like the whole like ROI thing, that's a conclusion that I had to arrive to pretty late in the game. You know, when I feel like if you're a continuing student, you know from the jump, it's like, okay, my goal is to get a great job. Yeah, I, that would probably be something that I wish I started a little bit earlier on. Um, mm. Maybe also understanding that like, okay, here's one. I When I first arrived at school, I was super intimidated by like how put together everybody was, how smart they were. And I would like kind of, you know, I, I didn't perform poorly in my classes, but I remember thinking like, wow, damn, this is like the first time I've felt average in my entire life. Like this kind mm. of stuff, getting in your head, you start feeling like you're not as capable. Um, but I think I wish that I had the mentality shift a little bit earlier that if I feel average among some of the top students in the entire country at one of the top universities in the world, I'm in a good place. Mm. So like, shifting your perspective to be more grateful for the situation that you're in rather than seeing it as a weakness yeah that's a great point because that just goes to show you how much farther that you can go I think you kind of answered this question but if this can be a miscellaneous one aside from casing on like MBB case prep on Facebook how did you get prepared for the case interviews mentally um tangibly in general I mean like I touched on the miscellaneous or uh, sorry, the um, repetitive case prep, like yeah. finding a couple of dedicated case partners that I could talk to like three, four times a week um, and just keep running cases with them consistently. Like I'd either have to wake up really early or stay up really late for the time zone difference, but yeah, it was worth it because then 
they're able to provide like personalized feedback on where you're screwing up um yeah. so they they can really like you know you need people that are going to be brutally honest and be like okay run through it again do it again like you know so yeah that repetition is really important I you know a lot of people say like read case in point by Victor Chang or whatever I never read it I, I think that it's kind of like unnecessary to learn the it's kind of like would you rather read a textbook or actually do something in practice to learn mm. it's like it's really hard to sit there and read and really internalize it it's always going to come out better when you do it consistently and actually perform it in real life um, so I would say watch a couple of YouTube videos, get a feel for what the structure of it looks like, and then actually start doing it. Don't wait around and start doing that a week or two before where you start yeah. applying. You should be applying the whole time consistently. Um, so yeah, I would say that would probably be my biggest advice on, on casing is some actual real life practice. Yeah. And Sam's being quite humble right now because she like... She told me she came with people from India, from Taiwan, with people who are so much smarter than her, getting like completely harsh feedback, waking up at what, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., staying up till 12, locked up in a room, like casing. She is being very nimble about <laughs> the work that she did. Um, but yeah, that wraps up most of my questions. Now we're going to get into a speed round. Whoa. So essentially, just three to five seconds, answer the questions. And you'll be solid. All right. Okay. <laughs> we talked about it a lot. You ready? You ready? Yes. Okay. Favorite Chuck E. Cheese memory. Oh my God. Um, probably like late night when uh we were closing up. Um, my managers, we got along really well. So they would like, you know, save me some like food and I would get the stuffed crust pizza and we'd all be like eating like while we we're cleaning up. So they they hooked it up with the snacks. Like I was well fed. Um, definitely a a lot of Chuck E. Cheese food, but I will say it's it's top quality. It's amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah, don't believe me, but I'm like, bro, like I would rather have Chuck E. Cheese pizza than like fucking toppers. 100%. Favorite chess play, if you have one. I don't, I can give you my favorite chess piece. Um, okay. I, as far as like chess play, I'm like kind of on the borderline of like, like pushing myself out of the regular like free play zone and actually having to learn theories at this point uh-huh I don't want to do that because I feel like yeah that takes away the fun of the game because mm. now you're like, it kind of like structured you know yeah I like making up moves on the spot but my favorite chess piece I don't know the queen she's kind of a bad <laughs> bitch you know like, everything like but it's kind of a pop-out answer if I had to choose another one I'd probably say the knight just because he's like you know, he's doing his own thing. He's like, he's interesting. I know. I only know this one. The one that goes in an L. That's the night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. well, um, I'm halfway there. <laughs> Some new hobbies that you're taking up. Ooh, yeah. After I got my offer, my new goal was to like find a bunch of new stuff that I enjoyed doing. So um, I've been rock climbing pretty consistently. Definitely learning like chess uh, as a new thing. Um exploring like San Francisco um I rewatched like Avatar like I had the whole series like, like I finally finished Korra because I was kind of like ah it's not the same but it's actually not bad yeah I, I don't know just like trying to like find things that I find enjoyable journaling is fun working out so yeah. yeah greatest mentor or biggest inspiration it doesn't have to be like recruiting related it can be generally um 
Okay, well, Matt's definitely one of them. But if yeah. I were to like go even beyond that, dude, I love Rihanna. Like, I think she's like the coolest person on the planet. Like, really? Yeah, like she's yeah, she's uber successful in the music scene. But then she branched out into um, the fashion industry and made like waves in it. Like, really, like redid the whole system with like Victoria's Secret and all of that. Like, embracing diversity. And she's such a dope person. If you watch interviews, like she's so authentically herself. And so she's like hyper successful, beautiful, but also one of the most like humble people. Um, and so I see that as like somebody that had a lot of balance in their life and were able to do it at such a high level of unattainability for the average person. And she handled it with grace. Um, so I don't know, when I think about like highly successful women that I want to emulate, Rihanna is definitely like up there for sure. She can literally wear anything, yeah. anything, and look good. <laughs> okay, but, uh, last question. Most transformative book for you? Ooh, transformative book. I know you're a big reader. I am. Um. Okay, well, I do kind of love my, like, little, like, dystopian YA <laughs> fiction and all of that. But if I had to, like, say one, wow, that's really hard. Um. Honestly, oh, this is so hard because I have so many favorites. You can do top three. That way we give some people some things to read. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to lump like Harry Potter, Percy Jackson into one category because those are like childhood, like nostalgia for me. Like I could open those books and reread them like 20 times and I like still it's in my heart. So that was transformative from like a young age, like kind of like introducing me to the, the book world. Um, Mm, those are important yeah I think there's this book called Sapiens that's super cool um Mm. it kind of gives like this um overview on like social structures and how we came to be the way that we are um and he brings up a lot of like super interesting thought-provoking points that kind of like make you look at social constructs that you've internalized in your own life and like why do I think that way where did this come from um Mm. some super interesting theories in it that I really love and like I don't know they're just great like thought pieces that you can like have great conversations with people um whenever something comes up very philosophical and then last book um I I don't know I I would have to like think about this a little bit more but the one that comes off the top of my head is the kite runner um it's a really amazing story um what Vala, I think, was telling me about it. And he's like, you have to read it. Like, that's one of the books that made me cry or something yes, like that. Super intense book. It it uh it kind of like it's basically set in uh, Afghanistan and yeah. uh, during this like, you know, huge political crisis. And it's just this story about like, you know, brotherly love mixed with, you know, the main character is kind of a piece of shit at times. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see like the growth in a person and it's not just like this pretty rainbow picture of like you know like the protagonist always has to be have like this great moral compass like you see him come to terms with some of the terrible things that he's done and every plot point in the story like comes together in this like beautiful wrapped up bow ending and um it's like you know very like it shows both the best and worst of humanity um Mm. so I would say that's probably one of the most like beautiful pieces of literature I've ever read. And I would say most people would agree. It's one of the highest selling books of all time. 
So you should read it. You should actually. I, because I, I really, like, I wanted to ask you questions about, like, 48 Laws of Power or Sapien, uh, but I didn't, I haven't read those books yet, yet. So yeah. I don't know too much about philosophy, like, but I will. And then we can bring you back and we can talk about philosophy. <laughs> I'm not a fan of 48 Laws of Power. I <laughs> I tried to read it it's just like I feel like that dude is a psychopath that sees people as like objects to use to climb your way to the top I'm that's like so opposite to my own philosophy on life but it's interesting because you're like damn there really are some like pretty shitty people out there and they can write books and you know get a big following so it's it's pretty interesting and I think that when you get um a perspective into that you can see maybe like some of the tactics that people would try to use on you so yeah it's interesting I think especially being women of color in business to understand the tactics that people have used year over year that way they don't use it on you is is powerful but I can imagine how much that book would mess your mind I kind of want to read it now okay I'll finish all my books on love and I'll get to the grueling part of life but thank you so much Sam for making the time to talk to me even among finals like I learned so much even in this short span of time because I didn't really know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do after having gotten this job and you just sharing your perspective and sharing your tips so so helpful so to wrap things up Tell the people what you're working on. Is there any place where they can find you if they need help? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn always, uh, I check that pretty frequently. Um, honestly, I've been pretty like, you know, off of it since finals. But during the um, the winter break, like I would love to chat with people and just kind of help them out, get them, you know, their feet on the ground in terms of recruiting. Um, Instagram's another good one. Um I don't know. I mean, I feel like weird, like plugging myself. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, feel free to reach out. I'm always available. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And with that, thank you so much, Sam. Hope everyone listening has a great day. Today's going to be a great day. Tomorrow's going to be a great tomorrow. Tonight's going to be a great night. I don't know. Thanks for listening. If this was helpful, go ahead and send it to someone if you'd like. If not, okay. All right. Peace out, Girl Scout and Boy Scout and other Scouts. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks, Sam. Bye.